This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. President Biden, Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson, begins her Senate confirmation hearing this week in which she will likely have to defend spending her part of her career as a criminal defense attorney, including representing terror suspects at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Does she have the numbers in the Senate to join the highest court in the land? And should Justice Clarence Thomas recuse himself from cases due to the politics of his wife? We talked those issues over with Supreme Court correspondent for USA Today, John Fritzy. Welcome back, John. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me. All righty. So the Senate Supreme Court hearings are always great theater, uh, from Anita Hill to the Kavanaugh hearings. How fierce do you think these uh, four days for Jackson uh, will be? I think probably less fierce. Like, the, the reality is that Democrats have the votes for her, right? right. Even if not a single Republican backs her. Um, the other thing is that she's not changing the balance of the court. It's a 6-3 right. conservative court. She's replacing Stephen Breyer, who was a Clinton appointee. And, you know, the third thing is um, I, I'm just not sure it's good politics for Republicans to be going after the first black woman nominee, right? Like, it's just <laughs> that is that is not a good look. That's right. right. Not a good for your right. career. But... Not a good for not good for trying to win yeah. a Senate seat in Georgia. Um, I think that, uh, you know, she's she's clearly qualified. And even um, I even think some of her critics will acknowledge that she's um, she has credentials that match other justices that have gone up. The thing to watch, though, and the counter is the counter to all that is that you've got a few guys uh, up there running for president in 2024. Right. And maybe Josh Hawley, maybe Ted Cruz, uh, maybe Tom Cotton that are all on that committee and they need to, you know, they need to get a moment. And so then they don't care about winning a Senate seat in Georgia. They care about, um, you know, sort of firing up the Trump base of the party. So. Uh, I could see them making some issues, um, and they already have. Yeah, Mitch McConnell called her the uh, arm of the soft on crime brigade, and of course Ted Cruz, always the super intellectual, blasted her for spending her career defending murderers, rapists, and child molesters. And but you don't see that criticism sticking, huh? The first thing that that folks came out with was this defending terrorists, and um, I actually just spent a t- lot of time looking at this yesterday. Uh, it's really thin. I mean, <laughs> so she is a she is the first federal public defender who will be on the court. There's other mm-hmm. justices that have done defense work. Thurgood Marshall, of course, was yeah. did a lot of defense work, but she's the first public defender. Um, she took a case of a guy who was at Guantanamo, and she was assigned that case. Sure, um, and, and we've talked to the the head of that office back then, who's still the head of the office now, who, um, you know, told us that, look, he, he assigned her the case. It's how it works. Not like she picked it. Um, then they look at this other case. The guy actually was not at Guantanamo. He was at a, a naval brig in uh, South Carolina. Um, you know, that's one where she did pro bono work on. So she, she had more of a role in, in doing it, but you know, 
one of the she was so she was writing amicus briefs in those cases. She wasn't like she was representing and talking with the clients. Right, so she right, was writing right. briefs about sort of the law. And one of her clients in those amicus briefs was the Cato Institute, which, you know, it's not exactly a bastion of liberal thought, right? I mean, uh, you know, they're libertarians. So so there are times when their interests align with liberal thoughts. But, but you know, they're, they're by and large a conservative group. So I, I don't know. I just – it's really hard for me to see. It's a great soundbite. She represented terrorists. It's about an inch thick. Yes, and and you pointed out. I mean, you pointed out that she has sided with conservatives on several cases. And talk about those cases. Yeah, I mean, the case everybody talks about with her is this Dan uh, Don McGahn case, which uh, mm-hmm. you know she ruled against Trump and basically said that his White House counsel had to testify to a congressional committee that was doing the impeachment inquiry. So everybody sort of looks at that. Um, but, you know, the, you know, as you say, there's these other cases out there. Uh, there's this one where a bunch of environmental groups were upset when Trump was building the wall. And this dealt with a border wall section in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And the Trump administration was like, look, we're just not going to worry about these environmental rules. And they were allowed to do that under the law. The law said that they could like dispense with all of these environmental requirements and a bunch of environmental groups sued and Jackson ruled that, look, you know, the law's clear. Um, uh, and she ruled with the Trump administration on that case. And with the McGahn case, it, it, it's interesting because that involved the Ukraine, right? That was the, that was the call yeah. to, the, to the Ukrainian president saying, hey, uh, look at Biden and his son or else we're not going to give you the money, <laughs> which is straight up extortion, extortion. But uh, and, and she said that he, 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 had to, he had to work with, I guess, Congress on that one. Yeah, basically. And, and you know, what, what her critics will point out correctly, by the way, is that, you know, she was overturned in part on that decision mm-hmm. uh, by the by the D.C. Circuit Court and, and went up to the Supreme Court. And but she was also partially upheld. So it was sort of like a partial win, partial loss yeah. by that before it could get figured out who was right. Mm-hmm. Um, McGahn basically settled with the committee and went and testified under an agreement. So we, we never really got a complete answer. You know, her language in that case is super interesting because it is very, I don't want to use the word political because nobody would like that. Um, conservatives would agree with that. It's very um, aggressive language. It's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff about how presidents aren't kings. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting it's an interesting case the way she wrote it, but part of why it's interesting is that it's pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. Like I've read through a bunch of her cases and she is not prone to this like big pronouncements. Um, she's a trial court judge mm-hmm. and, you know, she's way more doing like factual stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, a lot of the cases are, are pretty dry so I think the McGann case is interesting because it's kind of unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's also that, you know, there's this case where she, you know, she, she ruled against Trump on expediting immigration mm-hmm. for certain people, right? He wanted to um, basically increase uh, deportations, mm-hmm. increase the speed of deportation. So she ruled against them there, but then turned around a little while later and said that the Trump administration could expedite deportations for people seeking asylum. I talked to some conservatives about this yesterday and, you know, they sort of make the point that, look, like the ones where she ruled against, ruled with Trump were the easy ones, right? right? The ones right. where she ruled against Trump. Mm-hmm. And that may be that that's hard for me to assess. Right. All I know is that um, 
it's not like she's coming down against Trump mm-hmm. in every case. You were talking about her record as a federal uh, public defender, and uh, what what's the significance of having someone uh, with that experience on the court? The courts tend to have a lot of prosecutors, right? It's prosecutors mm-hmm. who get a lot of attention and tend to run for other offices. And um, right now, uh, you got on there, Sam Alito is a former prosecutor. Um, Sonia Sotomayor actually started her career as a prosecutor in New York. Um, and if you look at the history of the court, you end up with a lot of prosecutors. But, you know, this, you know, you guys know, this is like a... This is a system that involves a prosecution and defense. And so a lot of people mm-hmm. feel like mm-hmm. um, it'd be good to have somebody who understands the way the defense works and looks at the system from that perspective. And, you, you know, we, we have been in Supreme Court hearings, obviously, you go all the time. And, and when I'm there, it is a very prosecutorial system. I mean, the judges kind of drill you with questions. Um, does that change at all with her? That's interesting. I've never thought of it that way. No, I don't think so, because I think you're right that it feels prosecutorial, but that's just the, in some ways, it's the appellate system. I mean, they, they're pressing both sides pretty hard with questions. She's really good at, at questions. And of course, she was a former uh, debate um, team person. And um, I suspect that we've all been speculating that she's going to be a pretty aggressive um, questioner at the hearing. So I, I don't think it's that so much as... I think she is closer to some of the defendants. You know, she's she's been close to defendants and has seen how it works from their perspective. Um, you know, I don't know if that changes, like how she rules might change how they how she thinks about which cases they should take, for instance. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I remember one case um, that stood out um, and they got a little bit of attention. She had a cousin or nephew or something that was in the prison and petitioned her. Do you remember that one? Uh, Yeah, she had an uncle who um, Mm -hmm. she has an uncle who served a life sentence, who was given a life sentence for in Florida, for mm-hmm. what I understand was a nonviolent drug charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, interestingly, uh, that uh, his sentence was commuted by President Obama um, when Obama did a bunch of uh, commutations uh, toward the end of his term. Um, you know, uh, it is interesting because it means she, she, she's seen it. She, of course, she and the White House and even the president have been very keen to point out and they do it in like every statement they send me it's like hey it's not just that also she's had like three uncles that were cops right and um (laughs) including one who worked in baltimore and another one who ended up being the chief of police in miami so you know i think i do think that it's interesting she has this perspective but they're also very keen to note that hey it's not the only perspective she's also got a lot of personal connection with law enforcement. Was there ever any inkling that she did anything on her uncle's behalf that ended up getting him released? I I haven't seen that. No, I haven't seen that. Um, I do think that she, I read somewhere that she may have um, uh, helped find a, an attorney or, or something like that, but I, I don't, I'm not aware mm-hmm. of that if that's the case. In many of her opinions, and you pointed this out too, um, she's quoted conservative justice Antonin Scalia, which is uh, very fascinating. If she does get on the court, does she become kind of a Justice Kennedy, a swing vote in some of these cases? I doubt it. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I it could be. 
we never know what, you know, how they're going to turn out and particularly how they're going to turn out with time. I do think that despite our reporting and other people's reporting about some of these opinions, I do think that she's going to be a in solidly in the three camp, but you know, as anybody would have been appointed by a democratic president, like, you know, it's just, um, we just don't have a lot of swing votes right now on the court, right? <laughs> like, right, you know, right, you just, right. just not, it's not like how it used to be, at least right now. Yeah. Yeah. And right from the start, President Biden said he was going to propose as the next justice a black female. Was that a wise move? And does it cause controversy? Because people say, well, you're eliminating candidates that may have had more experience than Jackson. Um, how's that playing out? I think there were some people who thought that who questioned why Biden made, for lack of a better way of putting this, such a big deal of it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. would it have been better, including for Jackson, if he had just said, look, I'm going to look for the best candidate and then picked a black woman, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think there are, like, there was clearly some politics involved here on Biden's part, right? Remember when he made this promise, like standing on a debate stage in South Carolina and, you know, (laughs) and, uh, you know, a state he needed to win after losing in Iowa and New Hampshire. Oh, that's true. That's very true. And and a state that um, traditionally, you know, there's a huge black voting population in South Carolina and the Democratic and super important. And, you know, subsequent reporting by the New York Times, has sort of suggested how awkward this kind of was that basically it was like Clyburn kept telling him he had to do it and he kind of forgot about it. And then at the very end of the debate, he does it. I always laugh because I go back and I look at that debate transcript and he says it at the very end. It's like at the, it's like at the closing question, I think the question was tell us something about you that we don't know. Right. And it had yeah. nothing to do. And, and in the middle of this question, <laughs> Biden like pops up like, yeah, and I'm going to name a black woman in the Supreme Court. Right. And, oh, by the way, yeah, by the way, and, I'm going to like, be- I think because it was at the end of the debate, it got almost no coverage. Like nobody understood right. the significance of this. Um, right. But what was significant is that it was enough for Clyburn to endorse him and the rest is history. So, um, you know, look, uh I, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to take opinions on this stuff. It's it's obviously yeah. historic and important, and um, it's pretty remarkable that, you know, in the long history of the Supreme Court, how white and male it's been. So, oh, so I think yeah. I, I don't think anybody, I don't think even the most um, conservative Republicans have a problem with who we picked in that sense. I do think there's been some criticism of how Biden messaged it. And and right. maybe um, other presidents have said things like we're going to look for the most qualified person and then, yeah. you know, so. Well, uh, President Biden has never done that, never really messed up. In his right, it never happened. <laughs> never happened. Uh, the other hot topic on the court is uh, Jenny Thomas, uh, ultra conservative wife of uh, the conservative justice Clarence Thomas, and recently acknowledged she was at the Trump rally, and uh, that resulted in the insurrection and the raid on the Capitol. Though she said that she left before Trump's speech, she's been visible and vocal in support of Trump's principles, which is causing detractors to call for Thomas to recuse himself on cases. Should he be held accountable for his wife's political beliefs? I mean, I don't That's not my, I don't know if he should be held accountable. I, I, you know, that's not my call. I think that, um, you know, um, 
the recusal system is really weird. Uh, I think that there are recusals when these guys have a financial interest. Uh-huh. Personally, I think the financial interest is a little squish here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that Ginny Thomas is is a consultant to some of these groups and so forth. Um, yeah. I, you know, look, <laughs> it's unusual for spouses to have political involvement. Right. I'm just I, I, I'm not convinced that what's the what's the implication here that Ginny Thomas is um, uh, basically convincing Thomas to be conservative on all these cases. Yeah. I think Thomas yeah. is pretty conservative on his own, right? Like <laughs> that's what I was yeah, thinking I mean, too. He's, yeah, he's, he doesn't right. need a big push. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so I mean, I'm not oh, worth exploring. And, and we wrote a story. I think it does raise some real interesting questions about recusals, right? And and um, watchdog groups just say, "Look, this is a mess." I mean, it's not. They don't have to say why they're recusing. No one polices it. It's sort of like their own system. And the law is is really kind of unclear about it. And um, so I, I think, you know, it, it's a good story because it raises some of these questions. Um, but, you know, the Wall Street Journal did this big piece last year that found that a bunch of appellate court judges were not recusing in cases where they own stock. I mean, that, that to yeah. me seems yeah. to be a more clear... Sure. A little bit more sure. of a clear, wait, what's going on here moment. Um, yeah, yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I mean, <clears throat> it's a free speech thing, right? I mean, I thought of Kellyanne Conway and, you know, her husband, <clears throat> excuse me, she was a Trump spokeswoman and her husband was one of his fiercest critics. Um, of course, she wasn't on the Supreme Court, but I mean, what can you do? I mean, you can't really control the politics of of your spouse is what I see, you know. So you mentioned um, Georgia, which is, you know, you're talking about the politics of Biden picking uh, a black female, but I didn't think of the Georgia politics involved here. Of course, Georgia was a key state in going with Biden and the black vote was a big, um, big part of that that pushed them over. So um, there is some politics here, I guess. You know, I think that, um, I think there's probably both, right? Like, I think that the the administration and Biden was keen to do this because they felt like it was overdue. And and yeah. that's the line that Biden's always used. Um, it certainly doesn't help, hurt with, um, with, with politics either, right? And, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of black voters about it and, and black voter organizations. And, like, I don't, I'm not convinced anybody is voting just on this issue. Right. Like my my guess is my sense is that most black voters are way more concerned about fuel prices and inflation and jobs like everybody else. Right. But but I don't I don't I also don't know that it's, you know, I do think it's sort of in the back of some people's minds. Um, But it's probably for us because we're in this game. Right. We we watch this kind of stuff and we we kind of watch it as sports as you would a football game. And and so. yeah, I don't, I don't know. It may be microscopic uh, that we're doing and, and looking at it that way. You mentioned the numbers. So Senate's 50-50. Uh, Kamala Harris breaks the tie. Does it come down to that? It might. I mean, the, the last several of these, you get – the last justice who got a lot of bipartisan support was Steve Breyer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's back in the 90s. And ever since then um, – you know, even like very non-controversial people like Kagan 
um, mm-hmm. you know, are not picking up more than a few Republican votes and the same vice versa, by the way, on the Republican nominees, you know, maybe. You know. Right. So what you end up with is usually three or four of the other party. Um, and in this case, you know, you've got Graham, Collins, Murkowski. Uh, Graham's been pretty, seems like he's, um, he's not real happy. He wanted Judge Childs from South Carolina. So yeah, um, I think Collins- Which is his state, is his right? state Exactly. Yeah. Um, Collins and Murkowski from Maine and Alaska, perhaps, um, perhaps more gettable. Um, yeah, sure. But I, I don't know. You know, I think there's a, I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be tight, not be really because of her, unless something comes up. And we haven't talked about that, right? Like, we're, we're yeah. talking about this as if it's a smooth path. And I think it is right now. Right. But remember, yeah. you mentioned Thomas at the top. You know, the Anita Hill allegations didn't come up until after those hearings were over. So Clarence Thomas got through the hearings and wow. Thomas came and, and Anita Hill came up. And same thing with Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh yeah. had gotten through his hearings Um when um, when the uh, Blasey Ford uh, allegations came up, and they brought him mm-hmm. back for two days of hearings. Wow! So, um, you know, assuming no surprises, I could see a few Republicans like a Collins voting for her. Yeah, and it, it kind of gets back to what you were saying at the top, which is, you know, if you vote against her, um, that's a pretty that's a pretty good stain on your um, on your political record. I mean, you're in a you're in a tough spot. And I always remember, you know, when politicians would run, I said, you know, the last thing you want is, a, is a going up against a female candidate because you kind of look like a bully. You know, it's just where's the where's the gentleman rules, you know, Um but um, I don't think I don't know that voting against her would drive that. I don't know if voting against her is a stain for Republicans. Um, but I do think like making like really attacking her at the hearing could yeah. be could be that right. Like, I, and I guess that's up to the people to decide. Like, are you know, do you have a legitimate thing here, or are you just haranguing her, right? Um, right. And I think that's going to be a judgment call for a lot of people. And uh, these these. These hearings have always been um, very watched closely. I rem- I can remember, you know, people just being glued to, to this stuff. And and um, I don't know, you know, do you think the Ukraine situation helps in the sense that it will overshadow um, the hearings? I mean, the Ukraine situation has really shadowed over this whole thing. And uh, yeah. I think C-SPAN had a poll. Somebody had a poll last couple of days suggesting that an awful lot of people don't have never heard of Katanji Brown Jackson. Right. So, um, <laughs> you know, usually I think these things get a lot more attention. I can just tell you from my perspective and writing these stories, um, it's been really hard to get uh, real estate and, um, uh, you know, clicks on some of these stories. Um, I think that's partly because again, it's not changing the ideological balance of the court. I think there's sort of an assumption that she's going to be confirmed right now, pending some right. surprise. And Ukraine, right? Ukraine is just, you know, you got a land invasion in Europe and people talking about nukes, right? So that is obviously going to um, draw people's attention away from this fight. Do I think it helps? Yeah, I think it could. I mean, I think I think some Republicans... The other, the other thing is, for Republicans... Um, they want to go after Biden. I think they have a much stronger position right now talking about inflation, gas prices, sure. the economy, sure. Sure. you know, and I, yeah. if, if I'm a Republican, that's where my focus is on. Not, not so much on him choosing the first black woman for the Supreme court. Um, 
And I think there's a lot of Republicans, at least in leadership, who are like, let's get this over with and move on to the stuff where we can really hit this guy on. Right. We can bash Biden. Yeah. Uh, if she gets confirmed, what do you see a role on the bench being? You know, it's a, a junior justice. Uh, it's like a like a you know, it's like being the freshman in high school. Um, <laughs> you know, they have to they get the cafeteria committee right. So they, I'm not kidding. Like they they are in charge of doing the cafeteria, um, which is funny. They have to hold literally hold the door at the conference meeting. So like one of the, when they go into these conference meetings, all closed door. It's just the nine of them. And but if anybody not no staff, but if anybody knocks on the door to bring in a paper or whatever, it's the junior justice that has to get up and like go see what it is and, uh, so you know uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny so she'll get the least assignments she'll get the crappiest right. assignments barrett has sort of gotten yeah. some real uh, doozers of opinion she's had to write um so you know that's just the, that's just the nature of the beast um i think I, I wrote a story about how um we haven't talked about this but in addition to being a public defender she served on the u.s sentencing commission um, which is this kind of body that nobody knows sure. about that sure. sets sentencing yeah. guidelines. Um, I think there are areas where Jackson could have what I would call soft power um, in, in that conference room, sort of talking to the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to the other justices about sentencing cases. And the thing is, um, you know, there's now two black folks on the Supreme Court, one who is a conservative and for a long time has sort of been the voice for African-Americans um, mm-hmm. on the court. And now there's a second. And I think that who's going to be more of a liberal. And I think that potentially could change the dynamic on issues dealing with race. Yeah, I think the, the federal public defender role helps because that's probably a view they're not getting um, fairly regularly. Right. You know? So right. um, always great to have you. And uh, you're, you're incredibly knowledgeable about this. If you want to read thorough reporting about the Supreme Court and you've been doing a great job here, please read uh, John Fritchie in USA Today. Uh, you got the best beat up there, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. I appreciate it. And it's March Madness this month. Of course, the uh, big basketball tournament. And for people who listen in, in Europe, uh, we have a big basketball, college basketball, university uh, tournament where we have 64 teams and they play until two teams remain for the championship. Goes to 32, 16, 8, 4, and then 2. And Brad, we had a big upset in the first week, which was St. Pete's Little School in Jersey over Kentucky, one of the major powerhouses of college basketball for the last few decades. And you have an interesting connection to St. Pete's. Tell us about that. Yeah, and it's funny because I I really haven't cared about the tournament in, in, a, in a few years. And uh, Friday, uh, this, this past Friday, I spent uh, with a whole bunch of people that were just watching basketball all day. And I went more for the barbecue and the beers. And uh, St. Pete's came up and everyone was like, that was the big upset. Thursday, St. Pete's of Jersey City beat Kentucky in like, you know, the the, the Cinderella story. And I was like, wait, St. Pete's of Jersey City? Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, yeah, like they were just as shocked. And I'm like, here's a funny story. 2002, I'm living in Philadelphia. I get a job in New York over the holidays, and it's like I got to be in New York City in January. And even then, I couldn't afford 
Manhattan rent. So sure. I'm looking uh, in the in the boroughs, uh-huh. and a friend of a friend was just like, "I got two friends that are going to need a roommate on like literally January first, and they live in a three bedroom in Jersey City." And sight unseen, I'm like, "I'll take it." <laughs> rent was cheap, and. <laughs> It it just happened to be right across the street from St. Pete's College in Jersey City. I'm pretty sure it's a Jesuit school. So, uh, well, St. Pete's. I was going to ask you what kind of school it is. Yeah. yeah. So it's Catholic. Is, is Jesuit Catholic? I don't even know. <laughs> yes, and I'm is, Catholic. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, very strict Catholic. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. Like, so they're like, you know, really crazy <laughs> we're not just ordinary cat- yeah, crazy yeah. catholic they're yes, really yes, crazy yes. catholic but it's a small school i mean it's it's not a big it's school. tiny so i guess it's 2500 students i mean i went to wow. high school with 2200 i think so <laughs> uh, it's, it's this tiny like the campus is like a is two and a half blocks long and wow. I got, I was working in the radio uh, on the radio at the time, and I had odd hours, so I I would be home in the afternoon. And there were some days at like noon, I would just roam onto the campus and be like, "Oh, the student union! Oh, they have a cafeteria! Oh, this the food looks good! I think I'm gonna have lunch." And I would have lunch for like ten dollars, you know, that would have been like a fifteen twenty dollar lunch in the city. So sure, I. Love to eat in their cafeteria. And then the best part was, I, you know, because I just would roam the campus. They had a gym uh, with a nice facility. And I asked one of the students working, I'm like, can anyone join this gym? And they're like, yeah, we, we, we accept people that live in the community. I'm like, I live across the street. And they're like, well, then you can join our gym. So I have a St. Pete's, like, student ID, <laughs> but it's like a community member ID. So you're on the basketball team is what you're saying, yeah. I, well, the funny thing is, with that gym membership, I was on the football team, the basketball team, and I also played <laughs> lacrosse for St. Pete's in 2003. You could have hung around long enough, you could have graduated. We were not good enough to make the tournament back then, but now yeah. I wish okay. I lived across the street from St. St. Pete's on Glenwood Avenue. Well, the the interesting thing about the tournament, and and it, it's crazy here because office pools are there. People are betting. People who don't know nothing about basketball, they're picking it because of the name. They're you know, and it doesn't make a difference because, like you say, if you pick a St. Pete over Kentucky, you know. But I remember my friend Kevin Coward wrote a book um, about the 2018 tournament, and it was a number sixteen beating a number one it was uh, university of maryland baltimore county yep. and they beat virginia first time it ever happened i think it's the only time i think st pete was a 15 but um the thing that i noticed he's got a great book called you must be cinderella's on amazon great book um the thing that i noticed was that how popular the college became after that victory because it really puts a spotlight on your school yeah. um, this was a school of engineers so these these are engineers out there playing basketball and they slay um the greatest uh, the greatest team so um it really does have an impact for some reason i mean I, you know i went to penn state and they had a great football program until and then um you know <laughs> i would say to people like yeah i graduated from penn state oh my gosh really and, and penn state wasn't you know wasn't harvard you know and it, really <laughs> because of the football team they knew yeah, penn yeah state, of course you know so this is uh and it's big money too i mean you 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 know you get your 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 student enrollment 
up and and yeah. those kind of things and you know traditionally um those winners end up getting knocked off down the road um but i remember butler do you remember butler yes, Butler making it all the familiar. way through yeah. yeah butler made it all the way through one point and i think that coach he was a great coach and i was sad to see him leave but he got a uh, a lucrative offer in the National Basketball Association, and he took it. And I think he's still coaching. I can't remember what team, but I think he's still coaching. So this isn't <laughs> just some small tournament going on here. Well, I mean, I, I mean, every year of the tournament, and and I used to fill out a bracket up until like three or four years ago, where it was just like, I'm this is this is my bracket. I'm gonna I'm winning the whole thing. And then like you know, like the first round, you'd be like, Oh, I did not pick these games right. I'm an idiot. I I didn't even fill out the bracket. I just handed over my five bucks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You should just be like, Here's my five dollars. I don't. I'm I, I'm not even turning in a bracket. Just take my money. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but but it does make it interesting. Is- because you know you you do pick teams and you you start watching it more intently just almost like fantasy football you'll watch the games where your players are in there and it does make it um you know very exciting uh, well, it's funny because I would pick t- the teams by the names. Like I always picked Xavier to go sure, to the final sure, four because it was sure. what a great name. <laughs> and I always loved UConn because it, it sounded like it was the UConn, but it's just you and Connecticut. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I remember. I think March is Women's History Month, and I remember you know quizzing my son. I said, "You know what March is?" And he goes, "Yeah, March Madness." <laughs> you know, I'm expecting him to say Women's History Month, um, and. Um, I, you know, Philadelphia was a big, big basketball town. We had the big five, yeah, of which course. was Sal, Villanova, St. Joe, Penn, and Temple. Usually three of those teams make it in, but only one that got in was Villanova, who are always, uh, you know, upset potential. They, 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 you know, once you get in the tournament, anything can happen. And, and they're course. a team that has, you know, some of the ability to do that. So we will keep an eye on it, friend, and we'll root for St. Pete's. I will say this, though, I, I, you know, Villanova, they were a Cinderella a, a hundred sure. years ago. Yeah, yes, and like they were. yeah, and and the funny thing is with 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 like football, like in the NFL, I feel like any team on any sure, day, any given could Sunday, the, yep. to beat could beat the best. Yep. But with these college teams, I do feel, and I and I spent the Friday watching a lot of more NCAA a basketball than I have in a really long time. Like some of these teams, like, yeah, they, they, these guys do not deserve to be here. So it, there, there is a magic to it. And when it happens in, in, in the NCAA tournament, that's something special. And, like and, a you know, team I mean, has really come sure. up to beat yeah. uh, the yeah. uh, what is it? David, you know, beating yeah, Goliath. Goliath, kind of and that's the that's the metaphor. But it is sports is life. I mean, you watch it, and you got to root for the underdog. You know, you gotta you gotta love when that happens. And I'm sure the Kentucky fans are like crying and everything. But um, it is life, and 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 that's the great thing about watching it. And I think even people who aren't into basketball um, can appreciate that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I recently relocated to 
Durham, North Carolina. Whoa, you're in basketball heaven, man. Well, so, I mean, it is nothing but Coach K's last yes. season here. And yesterday, I'm hanging out, or Friday, I'm hanging out with a bunch of dudes that are just like, Coach K is set up for, like, this triple loss. He's going to lose his last home game. He's going to lose the, the ACC tournament. And now he's going to lose the tournament. The, the the big one and i'm just like no there, there's no way that's gonna happen because uh and and this weird coincidence my real last name isn't maybe i don't know if you didn't know if you didn't know that whoa it's krizanic which is k-r-z and coach yeah. k also has that k-r-z <laughs> which is this polish pronunciation shashuski shashuski and my last name would be Shawnock and not Krizanic. So uh, I'm all in on Duke and Coach K, uh, a fellow Polish American. So Coach K has a um, interest. He, he, I read about him. You know, his kind of his final. Everybody's writing about it, but I saw something really neat. He ref- he won the championship and he refused to hang the banner because two of his students on the team didn't graduate, which I thought was a neat stance. And he did it a second time, but ended up hanging it when the student finished his summer classes and graduated. So I, I love that, um, you know, that principle. You know, and and it and it and it just stands out that, you know, this is more than sports. This is this is academics. That's what we're here for. Yeah, no, he he's an institution in 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 this town. I mean, is he thirty? Is he forty? Has he been in place for forty years? It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How long that guy's been coaching? Dude, and he doesn't so. look that old. I mean, you know, he, he doesn't. He looks area. great. Yeah, and you've got North Carolina in that area too. So you're. Uh, Ooh, yeah, that's a big. Uh, that's a yeah, big rivalry. You're you're a basketball. I stepped but put in that this down. rivalry, and people are like, are all animated about it. I'm like, I don't really care. <laughs> So, put your say Pete shirt on, man. Just shut them all up. That that is it. I've been trying to find my St. Pete's community member ID card <laughs> since they won on and I can't find it. Ah, that's great. Maybe they'll let you in the game, watch the tournament, you know. That's great. Use that. <laughs> I want to just show them like I used to live across the street. I was that's funny right, in the cafeteria. That's right. Yeah. That's I'm right. gonna go yeah, get lunch right, in that buddy. cafeteria. Get lost. Get lost, man. Get a you ain't got a ticket. Get out of here. So <laughs> always great chat with you, my friend. Definitely. All right. Go St. Pete's. And we will be back next week with another truly edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. Until then. Always remember to read beyond the headlines. With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.